0: Podcast at gmail.com and log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Hey everybody, welcome to Tuesday's live show of Going in Circles. One of the things that, um, when I set out to do this, one of the things that I really wanted to do was to, um, to give an outlet and, and kind of focus a spotlight on A lot of the people in the business that don't have a bunch of steakhorses, don't have a big outfit, uh, don't have uh, fancy owners, but still are are a big part of the game. And I think uh, that we we don't do a great job of of getting these people uh, in front of microphones or or in in stories and and things like that. Most of the, the media attention goes to the big races and the, the big meets and things, and, and, and that's understandable. But what I really wanted to do, at least on one of the days, was to focus on trying to um, introduce people uh, to a lot of these up-and-coming uh, trainers. Uh, not just trainers, I mean, today we're going to have trainers, but uh, jock agents, people who are uh, involved in the, the business end of racing, um all kinds of people that, that right now don't have a forum, but maybe they have a lot of, uh, of good ideas, and, and I think it's important to get them uh, some exposure and, and also to hear what they have to say, to, to see what their view of the game looks like, not from uh, the top of a mountain like a trainer with triple crown type horses or, or a leading trainer somewhere, who gets a lot of exposure whose uh, voice is heard often but there's uh, a, a lot to be said of uh, these these type of uh, trainers and I mean we all started out somewhere none of us started out with 100 horses and uh, I think today show I kind of wanted to focus on on several of them that I, I think personally do a great job are, are excellent horsemen who uh, I've I've Witnessed from uh afar and some a little <laughs> a little closer, so these are people that uh you're gonna see more of you're gonna see their names in the in the form and and in the programs and uh I think today's show is is going to be interesting in that we're gonna learn about uh some people that maybe uh a few years from now we won't need to talk to because they're going to have all the outlets they want because they're going to wind up with good horses or they're going to develop into uh, big big trainers and and um we just hope that maybe uh today we can we can hear from from people um who have a little bit of a different uh, uh a view of the game they're they're, they're approaching it from um an up and coming kind of hey how do we get to How do we get to where we want to go? Um, The four trainers that we're going to speak to today are Jason Barkley, Reeve McGahee, uh, Susan Ditter, and Emmett Jolly. And all of them have uh, just recently, Emmett's trained for a little bit longer than the others, but uh, they're all small outfits, they're all growing outfits, and they all have something to say, and their stories are, are interesting in that there's some commonalities to them, but but they're also uh there there's a lot of differences as, as well and uh and I think that that's uh it's something that'll be interesting and and um I'm happy to uh to get them on here and and uh I want people to know who they are and uh that that's our our focus for today uh I'm still working on the website uh what we're gonna do with the website is is have some interactive material so that You'll have a place to go when when we're talking about um, a particular horse. Maybe we'll be able to get their PP's. Uh, if we're talking about um, uh, you know some, uh, a race, maybe we'll be able to get the video of the race. There's just things like that and uh, pictures, uh, links to to things that we're talking about, so that uh, I know on a podcast it's it's a it's a it's not a visual medium, but when you add up a a website that you might be listening to Uh, I mean a lot of this is is, uh, people are listening on uh, via computer or their phone and I just think that a, a, a website is a natural fit for something like this. I didn't really realize how computer illiterate I was because I'm on, I'm on like week two, and I'm sure that someone like my brother, Scott, who's understands coding and stuff could probably have done this in about 20 minutes. But I'm learning and I'm figuring it out. And, uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll have that, that up by next week. Uh, we also are going to have some contests on, uh, once the website is, is up, I've found some, some interesting racing memorabilia from over the years that I've collected. That's I carry around the country with me and not really sure what i'm gonna do with it but um i thought well why not have some contests have some interaction with people and uh kind of spread the wealth and and uh give out uh prizes for for certain things i don't exactly have a format yet figured out but um and, and any advice on that would certainly be uh be welcome and it was brought up to me by my friend the other day that I need a closing kind of statement, kind of like a signature closing for the, the podcast. And honestly, it's been a lot harder than you would think coming up with one. And and, and a couple people have have suggested uh, some, and, and they're not bad, but mostly they're, they're takes on other people's things and... um some are a little too crude to use too but uh if anybody has any ideas that might be contest number one whoever can come up with a a closing line for me to, to to end the show with uh harvey pack used to say may the horse be with you and throw the program um ron burgundy said say classy san diego i need something and i have not been able to figure it out for myself so I'm asking for you guys to come up with something for me to use. And I have in my possession a 90s era Saratoga tote bag giveaway that's never been used. that's It's still in the, the original bag. And the person that comes up with the closing statement or closing phrase that we use, we will send you that that Saratoga tote bag. And it's actually really nice. The stuff, the stuff they used to give out, um, I think was nicer than some of the stuff they give out now. But, um, that is, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because you think, you know, how hard could it be, but it really is. It, it, the ones that I've tried sound kind of awkward or kind of forced or they just sound like somebody else's. And, uh, We'll see. If anybody can, uh, can come up with one, we will reward you. Um, we have Jason Barkley coming up in a few minutes. I just wanted to say one thing. I did a podcast last night with my friend Barry Spears, who does the podcast with me every Monday night. And we kind of went all over the place. We talked about a lot of different things, including one of the things was the negativity on racing Twitter. And we tried to poke fun at a couple things. And there's a person, a particular person that felt the need to knock us. He knocked me, but he was knocking Barry as well. Though he he didn't want to say that. And he sent me private messages, basically telling me I I should take some things down. And I, I had this conversation with this person, who I don't know. And... It comes to find out he didn't even listen to the podcast. So my advice is that I am perfectly willing to listen to any constructive criticism that anyone has. I want to make things as good as I can. I I want to be a positive force. Though sometimes the guy that that talks about the things that other people don't want to talk about doesn't look like a positive force, but sometimes it has to be said. That being said, I can take criticism. I trained horses for a long time, and and I was told... Many, many times what a shitty trainer I was. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I I can't tell you how many times people said that. Rarely to my face, because people don't seem to ever say anything to my face. But I can take the criticism. But I'm going to tell you this. If you're going to criticize us, at least listen to the show. Please, don't not listen to the show and criticize. Because... That is just. I guess it's typical in uh, in today's day and age of of everyone being hypersensitive to things and uh, being critical. It it's. <laughs> I laugh and and it's really kind of sad that. Virtually every day on Facebook, I see posts posted by people that are from satirical websites that are basically poking fun at the people that are putting these posts up as though they are real. And I think that says a lot about our society. When people put things on their own Facebook page, and your Facebook page or your Twitter page or whatever, that, that's yours, that, that's your um, statement to the world and at the very least read what you post so that we can um <laughs> not be forced to make fun of you and uh there's some there's some uh some guys on twitter who are very very clever in the racing world but um we uh it's it's just uh if you're going to listen to the podcast and criticize Go right ahead. I have no problem with it. But if you don't listen, I don't give a shit what you think. How's that? I think we may have our first guest on the line. Jason, are you here? Do we have him, Casey? Jason, welcome to the show. Hello. How
1: are you?
0: Good, good. How are you? Where where are you calling us from today?
1: Uh, I'm in Louisville.
0: Okay? Well, Jason, what I wanted to do with this podcast, as I explained in the, in the beginning, was that um, I want to try to give some exposure and um, shed some light on, on guys like yourself who are up and coming young guys who are working hard and, and uh, you know you don't have the, the best quality stock yet, but but you're doing the best that you can with them. And, and uh, you know, a lot of times in this business, if you don't have a big stake horse, you don't get a whole lot of attention. So I thought that um, I've seen your work personally when you were assistant trainer for several top trainers, and uh, I, I actually believe enough in you to, to recommend you as a trainer for, uh, for, for people that ask me about the circuit you're on. So I thought you'd be a natural fit to, to come on here and, and tell everybody a little bit uh, about yourself and, and your barn and, and uh, what's going on with you.
1: Yeah, we well, you know, appreciate, you know, you you know, shedding some light on, you know, myself and guys like me, you know like you said, a lot of us don't get the attention that maybe we uh need and not necessarily we've earned it all the way as some of those guys have, but you know, we put in we put in the effort every day and uh you know, we're trying to get there, trying to get to the next step and uh you know, you just try to level up along the way. Um, you know, a, a few years ago when I went on my own we had I started with one horse, uh, then, you you know, you, you go to five and ten, and you just try to grow from there, and you do with it the best you can. And uh, there may be, be $5,000 claimers that can't win $5,000 races, and you just, you know, you kind of grin and bear it. You try to find the circuits where they can compete and uh, just go from there.
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny that um, people think that, it's harder to train good horses, and I said, "No, no, you got it all backwards." It's harder to train bad horses because there's not a whole lot you can do with them. <laughs> the good horses, you just kind of point them in the right direction for the most part. But uh, it, it's, it's it's tough when you have a Absolutely. horse that that you know you try everything and nothing seems to work, and it's just like you know you're like, oh, well, this one, yeah, we're, we're already on the bottom. There's no more lesser, you know. There's right. no more drop. That those are, those yeah, are the really yeah. tough ones to train.
1: Yeah, you start trying, you know, okay, well, dirt short didn't work, dirt route didn't work, blinkers didn't work, let's try the grass. Uh, you know, you try You try. start throwing different things at them and see what works. And, uh, I mean, sometimes it pays off, and you do find something that uh, maybe they do like. But uh, those are few and far between.
0: Yeah, that's true. Hey, now, your dad was a trainer, so, so how did you, you know, what was... Your childhood, like, uh, growing up uh, as the son of a trainer.
1: Yeah, you know, my dad, he's a trainer. He still trains, uh, you know, he trains on the Kentucky circuit year-round. Um, you know, I grew up at Ellis Park. My, you know, my dad had, you know, he always had a small stable. Uh, he got kind of bigger as I got older. But then, um, you know, the, uh, it was, it was fun being the son of a trainer. You know, my grandfather trained and, uh. You know, my great-grandfather trained, or great-grandmother trained. And, you know, so it was kind of, you know, just grew up, and everybody, the whole family was always there and always around, and we always had, you know, plenty of action. And, uh, you know, I was always working in the summers and uh, working on the weekends and working on the holidays. And, you know, you're always in the barn, and you just kind of, it becomes second nature. And, um, you know, I see guys now who maybe didn't grow up in it and you start talking about stuff and, like, they they understand it to a point, but I talk about it like I'm just, you know, like you talk about anything just normal because you've seen it for, I mean, I'm 31 and I've seen it for 31 years, whereas maybe they've been around at 15 years and they're, you know, 40 years old and they just don't necessarily have the same grasp of it.
0: Yeah, that, that's true. So for you, there was probably no doubt as to what, uh, what line of work you were going to get into
1: yeah this was pretty much the direction I was headed from the start
0: um who the now you you started working for your dad uh who did you go to work for after your dad and and did your dad encourage you to get into business or was it just kind of assumed that you were going to do this because you you had such an interest as a young kid?
1: Uh, I think he would have been fine if I chose to do something else I mean, he knows you know and unlike you know how tough it can be to you know have success and then even when you have success to you know, make make it a good living, and you know, and the stress that goes along with it. So I think he would have been fine if I did something else. I think my mom definitely would have been fine if I did something else. Um, I was talking to her earlier today. <laughs> hey, you guys need to come home some night. And I think, well, it's not the easiest thing to do when you're two hours away and you you know run a stable that work you know and you work seven days a week. Um, so I I could say either way they would have been fine with it. Um, but I, I think. You know, it was something I always wanted to do, um, you know, even just growing up, and I like the challenge of it. You know, I like the horses. I like I like being around the horses, but I like the challenge and the puzzle of making it work, you know, pick, picking your right spot, you know, getting the horses to achieve their maximum ability. Just the whole, the whole thing from top to bottom, I just love the whole challenge of it. Uh, and then, you know, when I left, I went to the University of Louisville with, uh, and graduated there with the equine uh, business degree that they offer. And I started working for Nick Zito, and I was an assistant for him for a year. And then uh, I worked for Joe Sharp as an assistant and Wesley Ward. So, so you
0: got a, a pretty good uh, diverse background in, in working for your dad, and and then those guys who all kind of uh, have different outfits. A, you know, a little, a little bit of a different outfit. I mean, I know Wesley's very concentrated on, on young horses, and um, I met you down at Gulfstream when you were working for who? You were working for uh, for Sharp, I think, when when you were there. Yeah, well,
1: yeah, I was with Sharp when we met. Right, right. And that's when I realized that you were a Dolphin fan. I was a Dolphin fan, so we got to be miserable together. Man, yeah,
0: we finally draft a quarterback, and now the season's in jeopardy. You know? And now the guys are not even going to get
1: to
0: play. You know? <laughs> the, the, I tell you this: the Dolphin the ticket reps call me every single day to try to get me to sell tickets, or to, excuse <laughs> me, to buy tickets. I probably should try to sell tickets, but uh, yeah. they're trying. I, I I don't know what the situation is going to be, but uh, it's funny because you know I read an article today about uh, by someone, and, and, and I'm getting old, so my mind slips. But uh, talking about how Other sports seem to really be struggling with the COVID issues that we've all had to deal with over the last four or five months. Yet racing has really had uh, just a few blips uh, on the radar screen where where they got shut down a little bit at Lone Star and then last weekend at Del Mar. But for the most part, once the tracks have got back up and running, we've been able to to keep them running. Uh, How has it affected you personally uh, other than just um all the protocols that, that you have to go i mean have your owners backed off a little bit uh, or, or are you are you guys still going full steam
1: ahead? um i would say at first everyone was a little timid you know i'm pretty heavy on the claim side of things and i was at oakland which we kept running so um you know there were still horses to maybe try to claim and you know things of that nature and you want. You know, you want to be aggressive because you expect to come out on the other side of it at some point, but at the same time, you don't want to claim a horse and then it be six months before it gets to race either. So a lot of my guys kind of backed off, and I I did. I missed on a claim that I really wanted, and I put it in front of about five people, and we just couldn't get it done because everyone kind of was in that same boat of, well, we may not race. So, you know, we didn't claim it, and and that's fine. But for the most part, I'd say everybody's back to full swing, and, you know, we just going right ahead. I'll say, like, the thing I tell people, like, well, what's different about being at the races? I think it feels like work. So there's no one there, you know. Right. There's no, like, you know, you, you, normal day at the races, you, you know, you go, you run your horse, uh, you know, you get done with your day, maybe you go back over to the races, you hang out, you watch a couple races, hang out with your friends, maybe talk to a couple owners or whatever. And it's kind of, you might kind of make a day of it. Well, now you just go you go on your horse, and you go home, and it's just—it just feels more like work, and you know, because normally my days they don't feel like work. You know, it's a lot of fun, and there's a lot of excitement around it. And right now, it's just—you know—we're just, you know, just kind of getting through it and uh, trying to do the best we can to put a product out there for everybody that—that's that's as uh, good as as we can do right now. And I know with the tracks opening up, and you know, some of these guys did back off the of horses for a little while, and uh, you know, some serials aren't necessarily where they would have been normally so i think there's less horses around to race right now to a point right um, so you know we're getting smaller field sizes a little bit and then with more racetracks being open there's horses spread out to you know up here i mean we have horses in ohio indiana and kentucky i mean all the tracks are two hours from louisville so you can just kind of pick your spot uh which is makes it good for us because you might run against a six-horse field but it's bad for the betters because it's a six-horse field
0: yeah exactly you know the the one thing that the races that I've been at Gulfstream when they've been running, the thing that that kind of caught me was was how quiet it was. You know, it's just kind of eerie. You almost, if if you're not paying attention, because they they don't have the track announcer being um, obviously Pete is calling the race, but they're not they're not piping it into the grandstand because there's you know just 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 the people from that race in there. So it's just kind of weird how how quiet everything is. It's just it's just very very eerie i, I guess. Um uh, so what is your main circuit? You you go you stay in Kentucky in the in the summertime and um and you said you went to Oaklawn last fall uh last winter?
1: Yeah, yeah I've done Oaklawn the past three years now. Um uh, so I'm Kentucky up until the end of the year and then I go to Oaklawn uh this year. Uh just based Seeing it off of what Turfway ends up doing and what their first structure looks like, we may split up for the winter and leave, uh, you know, 10 to 15 in Kentucky uh, and then go to Oakland because, you know, Oakland without having a turf course kind of makes it difficult because you kind of hem yourself into one, you know, one type of horse, you know, you're just looking dirt. Um, So hopefully, if Turfway stays open, you can leave the turf horses up here to run on the poly. Um, you know, they're putting a new poly down. I know they got the asphalt down about a week ago. So hopefully the surface is good and, you know, you can leave leave a handful up here, uh, leave some babies to get ready. And I try to focus on having some 2 year old jetty early. As I did say, I worked for Wesley Ward for a little while, so we do try to play that game to an extent um, a little bit. So leave some of those up here. But, yeah, mainly Oakland and Kentucky the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, I was talking on the podcast last night about the impact that Turfway may may have on the winter tracks, in that some of the Kentucky guys may wind up leaving horses at Turfway, uh, especially like from the Florida aspect, you might see a lot of the horses, uh, the turf horses coming down here, or also the the, the horses that wanna it might be coming down to get a little rest get a little time in the sun and the horses that are going to run are going to stay at Turfway, depending again like you said depending on what the the purse structure actually is because i know what they were talking about before all this these issues hit was was uh was pretty pretty lucrative yeah
1: you know last year the purses were pretty good and they i mean the racing was it was getting better and i think it, You know, it could jump again this year purse-wise and product-wise overall. Uh, I think it just depends on what guys want to do and what owners want to do. I mean, some owners like being able to go to Gulfstream and watch the races and have their horses in Florida and they go see them. Now, obviously right now not too many people are going to see any horses. So, uh, you know, if if the purses are good and everybody can stay home for the winter, uh, I can see it being a very competitive meet. And uh, with that, I mean, it'll make the product better, but it also, the flip side, it'll strain some of those guys that have kind of depended on Turfway um, to kind of make their year and maybe, you know, kind of displaces them uh, to a point as well. So that's something that I think gets kind of looked over uh, is, yeah, the big barns will stick around, but what's that do to the smaller guys? And, uh, you know, growing up, being a smaller guy and growing up, you know, on a small circuit, you kind of you know you sympathize with that as well.
0: Yeah, the the ripple effect of of the changes and uh, the the purse structure and and uh, all the issues that they've had in California, but also if you're going to go somewhere um, away from home, you certainly want to go somewhere where the purses are lucrative and and the expenses are are, are cheap, and and that's the one thing that people people uh, forget when they talk about trainers that we never forget is that, uh, the expenses vary wildly depending on on where you are. Um, you know, down here in South Florida, the hay is, is ludicrously expensive, good hay. But you have to realize that it's coming from thousands of miles away because nothing, nothing, there's no good hay can be grown uh, in this area. So it's, uh, the expenses the expenses do matter and especially to a smaller outfit uh that that can't uh you know just raise their day rate uh when they want uh they have to kind of uh i have been there <laughs> so h- how many horses are you currently carrying in your barn?
1: uh we just actually got up to 29 uh this this week you know we've i left Oakland with 14 so we've doubled in a couple months now uh, so that, I mean, as you know, as you grow, the expenses go with that. And it's not necessarily the the monthly expenses of, like, the feed and the payroll and all that, but just the initial, you know, need new buckets, need more webbings, need more, uh, you know, saddles and equipment and this, that, and the other things. So that, you know, that starts to tally up and uh, it starts to kind of take a toll on, you know, what you might have been rat-holing away for a rainy day. Um, But it's a good problem to have. And, you know, you just kind of buy it as needed and and use it and grow and go from there. Uh, We had to branch out and send a little string down to Ellis uh, because I I did run out of space up here in Louisville. So I've got six down there right now um, with a guy that I've known for a long time. Uh, He gallops and he's kind of just watching over the barn. And then, you know, my dad's down there as well. And then I go every weekend um, for the races and training. So kind of bounce back and forth and it's only two hours away so it's not not the end of the world it's not like you're spread across the country um, as you're going but it is good to have that as an option
0: That that's, that's absolutely true I mean you're just a car ride right away which is always comforting that was, that was one of the tough things when when I had horses all over the place was that as soon as I got to New Orleans from Florida something in Florida would happen and then, you know that, that frustrating like ugh you know you can't just get in your car and get there. And, and you know, horses are, are, there's always a problem, no matter what. The more horses you have, the more
1: problems you have. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that this morning. I was like, you know, it's just, and they aren't necessarily major problems, but it's just, you know, you may come in and one's, you know, has a temperature, has a, you know, a foot abscess. There's things that happen that will go away, but, you know, when you had eight horses, a lot of days you came in and you just, you know, you trained your horses, you fed your horses, you did your work, and you went home because there weren't enough legs to have issues with. Um, but now, you know, you come in, and that's, that's a lot of legs and a lot of mouths to feed, and so eventually something's going to go wrong, and you just learn how to kind of deal with it as you go.
0: Yeah, try, try to make sure those minor issues don't become major issues. Absolutely. Um, let me ask you th- this. You, you trained um, under Wesley and Joe Sharp, um and your dad, and and um, who was the other person? Uh, Zito. Oh, Nick Zito, of course. So you got really three kind of. I mean, Nick always focused on the the three year old kind of trail. Wesley was kind of a two year old uh, specialist, and and uh, and Joe Sharp was, was kind of more was more of a claiming outfit at that point, right? I mean, you guys uh, did yeah. a lot of claiming.
1: Yeah, he was still, still growing then.
0: So, d- tell me, like, you develop your own style of training, and who's been the most influential, um, I'm not saying, you know, pick names, but like, what, what did you pick up from, from that you find yourself, uh, emulating and, and, uh, like we always do different things. I mean, we work for trainers and, and everybody has their own opinions about things. And, and, you know, the truth is that, um, uh, you know, life, uh, it, it, it evolves and horses uh, evolve. And, uh, sometimes you work with really good horses and, and you can't, you can't train them the way you would train a, a, right. a cheap horse. So t- tell me a little bit about your philosophy with training and, and what's, what's your comfort zone? I mean, do you have a, do you like fillies? Would you rather have turf horses or, or, or you know, sprinters? Just what's your preference?
1: Yeah. Uh, I'd say like my, my preference is definitely geldings. <laughs> they're just easy keepers for the most part, you know, uh, they're not, they don't get too hot and, uh, you know, Phillies—they just, just—they can be fickle from time to time. I mean, a gelding can be too, but you know, you get an honest gelding, and look, they're just going to try it for you. Um, if you look at my stats, you would say I'm a I'm a dirt trainer only. Uh, my turf my turf record is not the greatest, but a lot of that comes, like I said earlier, with having some cheaper horses. You just try different things, and you try them on the grass, so it's a little skewed. Uh, but I do like dirt dirt horses and dirt training, and I. I just like this. You know, I like the speed aspect of it, and I know American racing kind of gets a gets a dirty look when people talk about all oh, we do is train for speed. But uh, you know, a good speed horse on a dirt track is a, it'll go a long It can go a long way for you. Um, but I'd say as far as who I learned the most from, or what I learned, not I guess not the most from, but what I kind of learned from everybody was like I tell people, you know. To this day, I think my dad is one of the best horsemen I ever worked with. And, um, you know, I learned from him, it was mainly, you know, every horse is different. And when you grow up in those smaller barns with cheaper horses and whatnot, you have to learn that you can't treat them all the same. You go, hey, go gallop a mile and a quarter today and then do it again tomorrow and the next day. You know, you have to do different things with them, uh, find out what works for them. You know, maybe, you know, a ring bit and a D-bit not all you need. And you got to, you know, try some different different equipment, you know, just different things that work for them. And I think, you know, you learn the individual, you know, learn that they're all an individual. And I think learning that first helps me even when I did go work for the big barns because you can kind of inject that into the that system a little bit. As the assistant, you can kind of, you know, you start to pick up on things. Okay, this horse, you know, a lot of these horses, they take to the, you know, most horses will take to the just, hey, you know, it's the routine we go through it, but if you're, you know, if you're watching, and you're paying attention, you can kind of pick up on the horses that maybe need a little individual uh, schedule, and if you change it up a little bit, you can get a little more out of them. Sure. When uh, um,
0: when when you were an assistant, um, you got a lot of. Uh, I know that when when I you we were at Gulfstream with Joe Sharp, Joe was literally never there, and um, you know you you had a lot of. Uh, uh responsibility for you you know on your own uh, do you think that played a part in you know cuz what you went on your own when you were 27 yeah so you you know i think do you think that responsibility of of being somewhere sort of training the horses for your boss uh do you think that kind of gave you a, a little bit of a, a leg up being that you had grown up in it and and then you had the uh, you know the the responsibility of of Okay,
1: yeah in absolutely yeah that like that freedom of you know you know you're kind of training the horses, and like Joe and I, we talk you know every day about the horses and this that and the other thing, but when you get the not only like you get the freedom to kind of do it yourself but you also you know someone is trusting you to do it yourself, um you know it's kind of like a like a like a rough draft, you know you get to go out there and do it and kind of make mistakes on their dollar. Uh, a little bit, you know, and you kind of learn from those, but it definitely, you know, when you think back and say, well, you know, we went to Gulfstream and I think we wanted about 26% that winter and it's, you know, 25, 26%, you go down there, if you can, you know, we did that, well, if I can do that there with those horses, if I can get horses of a similar quality, at least, you know, you know how to win races, you know, you know those things, and, but it definitely helps you um, in the long run, you know, you get that Gives you that leg up, but it also gives you that confidence in yourself to go do it. Let
0: me ask you this question: When you stepped over the line from assistant to head trainer, what was the biggest change? What was the biggest? What, was, what surprised you the most that you thought may have not been a big a deal as it turned out to be?
1: Um, probably just the amount of time I would spend on things not at the barn. Business barn. Uh, you know, because, like, when I get home, you know, the day just, you know, the day's just kind of starting when you get done at the barn. Uh, you know, you've got training charts, condition books, you know, update, you know. And I'm pretty, I'm really big on keeping my owners in the loop as to what's happening. And, um, you know, you know I try to send out an email, you know, every week to 10 days about their horse and you know, shoot a video. and You know, so I do a little, little video editing and things of that nature. So it's just a lot, a lot that I try to do outside of the barn. So I think for me, putting in that much, that effort, and that work makes it longer.
0: Yeah, I've seen some of the videos you do, and, and it's it's a good idea. I mean, it, it uh, keeps your name out there, and, and like you said, uh, gives the owner something to, to look at. Because I, I remember one time telling one, an owner who who kind of wanted me to call him every day about his horse. And I finally told him, I said, listen, there just isn't that much to say on a day-to-day basis. And usually when there is, it's bad. It's, you know, your horse is sick or your horse has got hives or your horse is lame or your horse threw a shoe and now, you know, it's got a bruised foot. I mean, that's the one thing is that, you know, there's often the, the, the no news is, is good news. But uh, I, I like, you know, the the fact that you, you put out, um, you know, some things on social media, which... I mean, it, it's uh, it's um, it, it's not hard to do, and and more and more guys are doing it. But uh, but you know, like what you've put out that I've seen, is it, it's, it's been it's been good. And uh, you know, it's it takes time, though. I mean, that's the other thing is is it does take time, and uh, that that's the one thing that when when I went from being an assistant to being a trainer was that I spent all my time when I was an assistant. You got to go talk to the accountant. You got to file papers. You got to do all that other crap, and and that that's one of the things that that I I hated doing. God, I I I would just I would have killed to just be able to work with the horses. I mean, sometimes even the people, you know, the people aren't uh, the help situation. uh, You know, in in Kentucky, never seemed as bad as it was in some other places. Uh, Have you guys had any issues with with uh, with getting help there? Considering the the virus protocols and everything,
1: uh, no, we've been pretty lucky. I've got a pretty solid crew of guys. Um, you know, everybody that's working for me now came with me from Oakland, and, uh, and you know we've added some more as we go. And you know, I just try to you know, you have a good reputation of being a good boss, and and you and I'm still, and I, I say this, and it, it sounds bad, but as trainers get older i think they forget what it's like to be the guy that was in the barn all day yeah um so if you if you can take it easy on them and understand that they're probably doing their best and uh you know it's a lot of work to do that uh you know it'll it'll go it'll go further for you they're gonna end up working harder for you sure but i mean i just know i mean i worked in barns where you know i wasn't an assistant and i wasn't working for my dad just you know and you would you know guys would you know some guys were tougher than other guys, and, and you know, I think they just forget what it is to be the day-to-day guy, you know, whether it's the assistant that's there all the time or, or the hot walker that's, you know, getting up seven days a week to come turn left for four hours. I mean, it, it, it gets to be a lot, and, you know, if you treat them, you can treat them fairly and treat them right, and, uh, you know, they're going to work harder for you, so if you can you know, do that, and it ends up. You know, that gets around. You know, guys, they want to work for you. You know, guys will come by and ask if you need if you need help, and, and it makes it easier when you do need help.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And then, you know, when you expand, you're only as good as your help in some in some respects. So it, it's it's a good reputation to have someone who's good to work for. So I agree with you there. Um, looking kind of from a global view, where do you see yourself? five to ten years from now like what are your goals where where do you want to be is the circuit you're on the circuit you want to maintain um i I mean we all know that things change so rapidly in this world nowadays we we don't know what's going to happen and from from tell (laughs) month to month day to day sometimes but you know like what what is your goal Uh, outside of you know winning the derby or something like that like what what size stable do you feel comfortable having? Do you want to get to have uh, a you know triple digit horses or, or you know what? What do you what? Are, what's your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, I've I've always said like I think a is a good number. Um, I don't think I'd be scared to go past that number if it became uh, possible. Uh, like I think, and, and you can probably you know agree with this that you have to get big in order to scale back to getting the right horses um you you can't you know if a guy calls you and says hey i got five for you to take and you know it's you know two constitutions an american pharaoh and then you know two iowa breads well you kind of got to take the iowa breads too um to a point you know you can't just tell them well, you know, I want these you know when you're growing you can't tell a guy well I'll take these three but you know you can figure it out the other two right, right. on your own you, so you have to take take them all and then sort through it and then and go from there and I think and I think you get a lot of respect for that and guys you know they're willing to work with you if you're willing to work with them and so I, I think if I could get to a hundred and you know you go from there and try to stay as much on the Kentucky circuit as possible with it. Um, I don't really have the, the desire to be on the New York circuit. Um, I know people have wanted to be there, but now people are wanting to get away from there. Um, I would probably, probably be more apt to go, like, if I split. If I got big and split, I'd say I would move more towards the Midwest um, and go – you know, use Kentucky as kind of my main circuit and then branch off into, like, the Prairie Meadows, Canterbury, Remington-type circuit. And, uh, you know, because basically all of that just would reconvene down at Oklahoma. And you can kind of go from there each direction um, back up to Kentucky. Um, but, you know, I think I think that's kind of where I am. And I've always, I think I'll always be a guy that, you know, even if I do grow to have, you know, Derby winners, I'll still have ten claimers in the barn, and just because I like it, I like the action, I like the challenge of it. I don't think it's. I think some people think it's, it's you know, kind of beneath them to be out there claiming horses every day, and I think it's. I think it's fun. Um, so I just like the challenge of it. So hopefully, you know, we just keep growing from there, and you know, I wouldn't. I know. I know. Aston's big goal is to be with, have the most wins ever, and I'm not saying I'll ever get there, but I sure would like to take a run at it. He, he,
0: he I don't know if he has the most wins ever, but he's got to be up close, doesn't he?
1: No, I, I, I know that's his goal. I think is one of his goals is to have the most wins ever. Yeah, I know he's not there yet. I, I know. I think Dale Baird still holds that record, but uh. I,
0: I tell you one thing about Steve. It's it's amazing. I was sitting with him at Saratoga. Uh, maybe six seven years ago and we were just talking about something i don't know I, I can't remember what it was and um he starts listing the horses he claimed off me and some of them were eight nine ten twelve years ago and and this guy that makes you know a couple thousand starts a year he's got God, i don't know maybe 400 horses on, under his care at any given time, and, and he's got that photographic mind where he can actually remember he's like yeah i claimed this horse off you i mean I I've trained uh, you know 3% of the number that he's had and and I could hardly remember some of those horses and 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 that's the thing is uh you got to work really hard uh, you know people don't uh, un- underestimate a little bit um how hard Steve works and just the travel alone has got to be you know monumentally tough I, I when I started training it was before 9/11 and you could literally, if you didn't have bags, you you could get to the airport thirty minutes before the flight at some airports and make right. it, and and not have any issues. And now, you know, you got you got two hours, and some some places, um, you know, you're lucky you're lucky if if uh, if you get in based the you know, it, it just it's just not the same. And the, the travel alone is is uh is hard. And and I, I tell you one thing that he does, um, just entering the horses alone at all these tracks it's just uh (laughs) it's kind of an amazing feat uh there's a guy in in the trotters uh, a guy named ron burke who's who's similar to steve and he's got 17 trailers 17 (laughs) and they're racing horses all over the place you know and just the amount of coordination i I know what it was like when i had 70 horses I, i was running around like a chicken with my head cut off and you know, just trying to get the the calls lined up with the jockeys, and get the works lined up, and get the owners licensed, and all all the things that um, all, all the non-glorious things that <laughs> the trainers do, and and that was with uh, you know a fraction of the amount of horses that that uh, that Steve has. It's uh, it's really a it's kind of an amazing feat. But um, well, it's good to have goals, and uh, I hope you do get there.
1: Yeah, well, you know, hopefully we get there and we'll just, you know, keep plugging away until we do. But, um, you know, it's been – we've had a good start to the LSU. Uh, You know, i got a couple that run this weekend. And, you know, it's fun to go home and win. You know, I grew up 10 minutes from there. So, uh, you know, to go home and win. And, and I mean, right now, obviously, we don't get to do it in front of too much of the family. But um, my daddy's out there training, so he's always around. So, it's nice to go be able to go there and do that.
0: Jason, listen, I appreciate you giving uh, us some time today, and um, good luck with, with the the uh, the barn, and um, keep on keeping on. And if you need anything, you know where to find us. Give me a call. Absolutely. Thank you, Chuck. All right, thank you. That was Jason Barkley, who's well on his way. He started with one. He's up to 30, and he's trying to get to 100. So... We are now waiting on, uh, do we have, Reeve, we have uh, with us,